you're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. It is a pleasure to be with you all as we are taking some time uh, not only to observe Ash Wednesday, but taking some time to begin a brand new series. And so I think it's only right that before we dive into the message uh, that God has for us tonight, we take a moment to allow him to prepare our hearts to receive it. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Lord God, we give you thanks for this night, this moment in which we are indeed gathered together here now in your presence, that we might hear from your word, that we might behold you once more and look upon you as our king. So God, open our hearts and our minds to receive the message. Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So tonight we begin this 40-day journey that we call Lent. It is a time leading up to Easter when Christians have traditionally gathered together to take a much closer look at the life of Jesus. That's part of the reason why we're beginning this series this evening, looking at Mark's gospel and this series that we're calling Walking with the King, because Mark is actually the earliest biography that we have of Jesus. The very first gospel written, it was based on eyewitness accounts from people who knew Jesus, who walked with him, who watched him as he taught and as he preached and as he healed. And as such, it really is the perfect book for us to study, whether we've been lifelong Christians or maybe we're exploring faith for the very first time, because it allows Jesus' words and actions to stand on their own. It invites us to take a much closer look at him. And Mark begins his account with these words. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, it's worth noting that it's very likely that those final words in that opening verse, the Son of God, weren't actually in Mark's original account. When you look at some of the earliest manuscripts, they actually don't appear there. Now, it doesn't mean that Mark doesn't think that Jesus is the Son of God. He has a different way of getting to that point. But most likely, the opening of this gospel was just this simple sentence, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But although it's a simple sentence, it's loaded with massive implications. What we need to note is that it actually contains two royal words that we find there, and those are the words gospel and Christ. Gospel means good news, but in, in Mark's day, it was often good news that was a royal announcement. So if the emperor had, had been victorious in battle, he would send out his messengers to proclaim the gospel, the good news of his victory in the far corners of the empire. Or if a new king arrived on the scene, the gospel, the royal announcement would be sent out, good news proclaimed. Likewise, this word Christ is not a name. It's a title. It's an Old Testament title. It's actually the Hebrew word Messiah. It means anointed one. It was a kingly title. Mark's point with this very simple but loaded sentence is this. There is a new king on the scene. And because of that, this really introduces us to Mark's central question. The question that runs from the beginning of the book to its very end, what kind of king is Jesus and why should we follow him? 
As we move through these next 40 days, as we watch Jesus, as he lives, as he works, as he ministers, as he teaches, this is the question that we need to wrestle with. What kind of king is he? Why should we follow him? But right here in the beginning, in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, he already tells us a couple of things about this king. And in order to see it, we really need to do four things. We first need to hear the herald. Second, we have to see the anointing. Third, understand the battle and finally receive the invitation. Hear the herald, see the anointing, understand the battle, and receive the invitation. So if you did happen to bring your Mark scripture journals with you, or if you want to pull it up on your phone, uh, join me in Mark chapter 1 as we first are introduced to the herald. Mark's gospel doesn't open with an introduction to the king himself. It actually opens with an introduction to his messenger. That's John the Baptist. And this is what we learn about John. It says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. John comes to prepare the way for the king. But it's shocking to note how that what that preparation involves. Because it goes on to say, he proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. See, what, what John tells us is that what it means to prepare for the king is that our sins need to be dealt with. He says, if you're going to prepare for the king, if the king is going to come to you, what needs to be addressed is a problem that's at the very center of your heart. Now, this would have been shocking in his day because of the fact that the people were waiting for a king. They were looking for a king, but the problem that they thought that that king was going to come and deal with was the problem of Rome of political oppression. They thought this king, what he was going to deal with was the problem that this empire ruled over them. But their sins? That was the biggest problem he came to deal with? And yet that's exactly what John says. He says the problem that the king has come to address is your sins. It's a problem with your heart. And that message is just as shocking today as it was back then. Because when we hear the word sin, we, we tend to think that it's a problem with breaking some rules. And, and we tend to shy away from talking about sin in our modern day because we see it as, as judgmental and harsh to call us sinners. But what we forget is that what sin really is, is it's rebellion. It's not just about breaking a couple of arbitrary rules. It's a refusal to give God the full control over our lives, to live according to his ways, to acknowledge him as king. And I think that this is part of the reason why we, we struggle with kings and royalty. On the one hand, we're actually very fascinated by kings and queens, right? We love shows like The Crown on Netflix. But on the other hand, we don't really want a king because of things like, like Hamilton, right? We see King George III, and we're just kind of like, that's what our country was founded to do, is to not have a guy like that, right? On the one hand, we're attracted to this idea of kings. On the other hand, we really don't want one because we refuse to acknowledge that someone else actually has control over our lives. We refuse to acknowledge that the real problem is in our hearts. It can't simply be fixed by addressing external issues. We see this all the time. I'm very aware of the fact that we are actually in an election year, right? 
And I mean, I, I, love, I love election years because it's always funny to hear what the different campaign slogans are, right? It's like we're, we're looking for someone to come and fix everything for us. You know, what's, what's President Biden's? It's a, it's a battle for the soul of the nation. Before that, it was Trump's, you know, make America great again. Some of us long for the days of Barack Obama still, the days of hope and change. And what was George Bush's? It was, was it mission accomplished? Was that it? I remember something about an aircraft carrier. I, I have a hard time keeping up, right? But you get the point, right? We make these big promises. We think, oh man, with the, the next administration, that's gonna fix everything. We want someone to come and fix our world, but we don't want someone to come and fix us. I mean, what if there was a more honest campaign slogan? What if, what if there was a candidate who actually showed up and this was kind of their campaign slogan, America, we're the problem. <laughs> what if there was a, 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 a candidate who showed up and said, you wanna know what the problem with America is? Americans, we're the problem. And until that gets solved, nothing's gonna get better. But that's essentially what John is saying. He says the problem is way worse than you think. It's in your heart. And if you're going to be ready for this king, you need forgiveness. If you're going to be ready for this king, you need to acknowledge the fact that you have been in rebellion your entire life. And until there's a willingness to acknowledge that problem and address that need, you will never really see him for who he is. We want people to fix the world and not recognize that we're part of the problem. We're the reason it's broken. And John says it's time to get ready for a king who has come to deal with that. But what's so incredible is that this invitation is actually made to rebels. Listen to what John says. He says, after me, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John says this king comes and extends that forgiveness and that invitation to the very ones who are rebelling against him. It would be like getting a personal invitation from the new president that you voted against and worked to ensure never got elected, saying, hey, I would really love it if you would come and stand right beside me at Inauguration Day. That's exactly what this king came to do. He says, he has come to give you the Holy Spirit, to give you the very life of heaven, to transform your lives from the insides out, this offer made to rebels, to those who've turned against him. It's shockingly beautiful about this king. Not only is there a problem in our hearts, but this king has come to fix it, not with judgment, but with forgiveness and new life. It's a beautiful offer. And it gets even more beautiful when we see the second thing about this, and that's the anointing. Every king is anointed upon their coronation. And what we see is that Jesus likewise is anointed. Because we read that in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. 
What's so beautiful about this king's anointing is that we learn a couple of things about him. Some beautiful things about him. First, it's really interesting to note what happens in verse 10. It says that the heavens are torn open. This word for tearing open is a verb that's only used in one other place in Mark's gospel. It's used when Jesus Christ is nailed to the cross. And we learn that in his final hour, as he cries out and breathes his last, that the curtain in the temple is torn in two. It's the same verb, the only other place it shows up in the whole gospel. It's incredible because the actual heavens are opened and heaven comes down to us. You see, that's what he's trying to tell us. The Son is sent in love to us. That it's the Father who loves the Son who now sends the Son, who anoints him for this work. He sends his Son in love to draw us up into the very life of heaven. That's what his anointing is for. It's not for his benefit, it's for ours. His anointing is one in which God's love is poured out on not only him, but poured out on us. That he is sent to share that life of heaven with us. It's, it's beautiful because we live in a world that tells us that any good thing that we have is something that we have to earn. We earn our promotions. We earn our accolades. We earn our degrees. We apply this to religion as well. If we want salvation, enlightenment, heaven, we have to earn it. We have to go up the mountain. We have to perform our way into the kingdom. But here now what we see is that heaven is opened and it comes down to you and to me. What's so beautiful about this phrase is that what the Father says to Jesus is also what he sent Jesus to do. And ultimately, that the life that Jesus gives us allows God to speak those very same words over us. I don't know if you realize that, but when you are baptized into God's kingdom, God speaks those same words of favor and love over you. This is my son. This is my daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. That's why Jesus was anointed as king. That's what he came to offer us. And he was so committed to that calling that he was willing to go into battle for you and for me. Kings are often tested, right, by their, by their first big battle. So it should come as no surprise that that's exactly what Jesus faces right after his anointing. We, we learn that the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness where he was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And what's so surprising about the battle that he faces is it's not against the Romans. It is against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. You see, there is a battle being waged for our, so for our souls, and it is much greater and more terrifying a conflict than we've ever considered. And Jesus came in order to win that battle on our behalf. And there's really two surprising things worth noting. First and foremost, the first thing worth noting is Jesus' victory only comes by being cast out. It's in the wilderness where this battle is waged. Jesus is cast out in order to win. That's the paradox of his story. His victory comes through suffering. He wins by being cast out that we might be welcomed in. It's a foreshadowing of how Jesus wins the ultimate victory, isn't it? Where he's cast out of Jerusalem, where he's crucified alone on a hill, surrounded not by followers or armies, but simply by other criminals. It's interesting that even here in Ash Wednesday, we note that paradox. Our mortality 
put on our foreheads in ashes, but done so in the sign of a cross, the sign of his victory. The second thing we learn about this battle is that Jesus wins it secondhand, uh, single-handedly. Single-handedly. I love this detail. It says he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Why is that put in there? Because Mark wants to highlight the fact his victory requires no human effort. It requires no divine help. The angels only show up after it's won. He doesn't need a human army. It isn't our efforts. It's his victory. It's his victory won on our behalf without our help. Jesus has the victory. That's the surprising truth about this very brief section. You can't win this spiritual battle on your own, but there's good news. You don't have to. Jesus has won it for you. And that's an immense comfort because it assures us that no matter what battle we face, even should the forces of darkness be arrayed against us, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has already won. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. That's what he came to do for us, to extend forgiveness to our rebellious hearts, to bring heaven down to us, and to win the victory on our behalf. So are we ready? Because that's the last thing that we see is Jesus returns, right? But he returns with an invitation. We read that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Now I called this an invitation, but we as modern people, we often don't hear it as such. We hear that word repent and we think of, you know, uh, preachers on street corners with megaphones yelling at us, right? Repent, you dirty sinners! And we, we hear that as a word of judgment, but not in Jesus' day. The word repentance literally means to turn. Repent means stop going one way and turn toward another. What Jesus is saying is like, you know that the life you long for isn't out there, but it is with me. Turn. It's this king who wants us to be a part of his kingdom. He's doing it all for us. That's the good news. Jesus says the time is now. The invitation's here. Don't ignore it. Don't, don't wait. There's an urgency to his calling. I find it funny. We, we live in this world where we tend to think that Jesus is just one of several options that are out there. But if it's true that he's king, then that means that there are no other options. I love how C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If Jesus is king, that means that there are no other rivals. There are no other options. There are no other kingdoms. He is coming. The question is, are we ready? Jesus is offering us the greatest invitation we will ever receive. And he says, don't hesitate. The king is calling. The question is, will we answer? That's why we're in this series together. That's why we're taking the next 40 days to walk with this king, to ask ourselves the question along with Mark, what kind of king is Jesus and why should we follow him? But even here in the opening verses, Mark tells us some beautiful things about him. He's a king who's come to forgive. 
a king who's come to open heaven to us, a king who comes to fight our battles on our behalf, and a king who comes with a glorious invitation to be a part of a kingdom which is from everlasting to everlasting, a kingdom of light and life, of hope, of purpose, a kingdom which is now present among us and will one day come in its fullness. The question is, are you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do acknowledge that you are a king, but we give you praise and thanksgiving that you are a king unlike any other. You are a king who comes into our world at great cost to yourself, whose anointing is not for your benefit, it's for ours, who wages battle by being cast out and suffering on our behalf in order to usher us into a kingdom of life and light. And so, Lord, on this day, as we begin this 40-day journey with you, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see you and open our hearts that we might receive you, that you would prepare us, that we would walk with you both now and unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.